Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at The emotion. And Dortmund against all the odds. Our European champions. Welcome to Believe in Borussia, your Borussia Dortmund podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Episode number 11 coming to you right now. Thank you for tuning in. We have a variety of things today to discuss and we will take the signing of our new goalkeeper Gregor Kobel as a launchpad to look back at some of the most iconic goalkeepers in Borussia Dortmund history. Let's start out with some Gio Reyna news. He will not be playing in the Gold Cup because BVB is not giving him clearance as they want him to be at camp for the preseason with his new coach to give himself and the club the best possible exposure for the 2021-2022 season. No offense to the Gold Cup, but Gio Reyna's goal has to be to break into the starting 11 at a side that competes for silverware, competes for a national title and plays Champions League. And from a club perspective, it's a no-brainer. Borussia Dortmund wants all their players together to maximize impact of training camp. Another former US men's national team player and Dortmund player made history this weekend by winning the Champions League. I am obviously talking about Christian Pulisic. who became the first American to play and win in a Champions League final. The first American to actually win a Champions League final. While that honor goes to Jovan Kirovsky, who won the Champions League in 1997, and you guessed it, as a member of the squad of Borussia Dortmund. Now Pulisic wasn't the only one with a BVB history, as, well, Antonio Rüdiger actually, who played for Borussia Dortmund in the youth teams, and of course head coach Thomas Tuchel, became champions as well. And Tuchel is now, after Klopp, the second coach that took the road from Mainz to Dortmund to Champions League, which made a lot of pundits, and obviously Mainz, point that very fact out. Now, while Mainz is being rightfully praised, I have to say we got to give some credit to Borussia Dortmund as well. Do you th Because do you think they would go from Mainz to, say, PSG or Liverpool directly, without any Champions League experience, without having to face the big game pressure at Borussia Dortmund or being the coach and the center of attention for such a global club that allowed him to continue on the groundwork they had laid in mines. But at BVB, they could refine and actually hone their skills more to become the successful coaches they are today. 
Let's hope that Marco Rose got enough Mainz DNA from his playing days to climb to the same heights as his predecessors here in Dortmund, but obviously do it in a black and yellow dress at the end. Well, and if you want to place a bet on Marco Rose and Borussia Dortmund Champions League winners 2022, you can just head on over to Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered on all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head over to the website right now, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus for your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. In other news, the Bundeskartellamt dropped a very interesting report last week. Said federal authority monitoring the cartels in Germany had been asked by the DFL whether 50 plus 1 infringes on any cartel rules or competitive law. Now many folks have probably expected it does because you hear so many people like Martin Kind and pundits on the media lobbying against 50 plus 1, arguing it's unfair, arguing it holds back investments, yada yada yada. Well it turns out the Bundeskartellamt had other ideas and I'm just going to quote what they tweeted. 50 plus 1 preliminary assessment by Bundeskartellamt. Competition law does not stand in the way of Deutsche Fußballliga's 50 plus 1 ownership rule. However, DFL must ensure that the rule is consistently applied. They're basically saying it's not the 50 plus 1 rule that's unfair, but it's the exceptions made for Volkswagen at Wolfsburg, for Bayer at Leverkusen, and for Dietmar Hopp at Hoffenheim. So the cartel authority is taking the stance that it's actually the investors, the majority investors, that undermine the fairness. Because you can have investors as minority investors, which is very common at a lot of clubs. Borussia Dortmund has it with Puma, with Evonik, Bayern Munich has it with Adidas and Audi, and I'm sure other clubs have it too. Hertha, for example. They furthermore argue that the point of clubs is for people as in the people to participate and share in a joint interest, aka the club format around it, which is threatened by majority shareholders and corporate investment. You can find the whole report online and it's well worth a look. I feel if a federal authority has such a clear stance on this topic, then I wonder why there's so many people who are so lazy in their assessment of investments and 50 plus 1 that always say the same thing, which is basically, we need to open up to majority investors because when they say investors, that's really what they mean. Because as I just said, minority investment is absolutely possible right now without infringing the rules. So if you want to go and hand over the keys to some investor and you're complaining that you can't, I really wonder, I don't think any top-notch circle-loving investor or shaikh from Abu Dhabi is going to look for Hannover 96 to use them as a platform and lift them into the Champions League to present themselves on the world stage. And I don't think they're going to invest enough money to make them competitive with the English clubs. In my opinion, and I think I've said this before, the absolute top investors will look for the top brands first who already have the most income, who already have garnered the most investment and interest in forms of investors or, for example, partnerships. Big brands want to hang with big clubs. There are probably a few clubs out there that are currently undervalued. For example, Hamburg, 
But who's to say that they can actually do something smart with that kind of money? And who's to say that it's not going to end up like it did at 1816 Munich or Malaga, where somebody came, dropped in a lot of money, lifted a club into the Champions League, then lost interest, had some troubles, withdrew, and then Malaga plummeted into the second division. Are you aware of who invested there still? Was that a good PR move? Did you even care about the Malaga team at all? Do you think their fans are now happier than they were before? Like, was it worth it for a couple of seasons of Champions League to burden yourself in the long run? That model reminds me a little bit of win-now moves in the NBA. When you give away all your draft picks, spend a lot of money, go into luxury tax, and then you get dropped in the first or the second round of the playoffs, the team falls apart because, let's face it, they were only there for the money in the short run. And then you're worse off than before because you don't have any draft picks for the upcoming years to even start building something. And you're looking at doom and gloom for the foreseeable future. The last thing I want to touch on that I read in the news was a New York Times report about UEFA looking hard to make a switch to a Final Four format for the UEFA Champions League, dropping the semifinal back and forth leg and making it a Final Four tournament. And you know what? I think it's actually not a bad idea. It has a big caveat, which is the fans, because the clubs will obviously miss one home game in front of their most loyal fans. And not everybody of that group will be able or willing to take a couple of days off, travel halfway across Europe and spend a couple of days there. And if you raise the platform like this, it will also raise the prices for tickets, travel and accommodation. That being said, if you communicate it the right way on a club level, And think about some mechanisms to make it a little easier for fans. For example, in terms of the ticket allocation, maybe helping organize travel. Then I think you're onto something. Because at the end of the day, many fans, especially in Germany and in England, they love to travel. They love going away. They would travel in packs to an away semifinal in the Champions League. So now you can make it a multi-day party and you get to represent your club on an even bigger platform. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Showing your support publicly and pushing your guys on the pitch is just what many fan scenes like to do. Why else would there be so many people, for example, traveling to a Champions League final or a big game even without a ticket? Because they just want to be there. They want to enjoy the atmosphere. They want to be able to say, hey, we were there with 10, with 20, with 50,000 people. What an amazing club. Well, now you could basically do it across two games in the whole week. That doesn't sound so terrible to me. And I think they really have a window there. I don't remember anyone complaining about the Champions League final being moved from Wednesday to Saturday, even though that was mainly for commercial reasons to allow for better events around the game itself, but also around watch parties and just more availability from fans. So not all change is bad. I think it always comes down to the context and the fit. Take Red Bull, for example. I explained some of the criticism behind Red Bull's engagement in Leipzig in one of the early episodes. But in the context of American sports, I think it's a total different story. Now you can say they also replaced the Metro Stars here. But the Metro Stars, to begin with, itself were a franchise that was only named and designed to provide sports entertainment in America's most lucrative media market. So in a country where teams can just pack up their bags and move a couple of thousand miles east or west, switch names, and all leagues have been set up to strive for revenue optimization. Can you really cast a stone at Red Bull? Here, I don't. It's not the same. So context and fit have to be considered. 
With the demotion of Roman Bürki, a slew of transfer rumors swirled around the club. And in the end, Borussia Dortmund signed Gregor Kobel from VfB Stuttgart as most likely their new number one. Kobel was born in 1997, hailing from Switzerland and is coming to Borussia via Zurich, Hoffenheim, Augsburg and Stuttgart. He's had two solid seasons with the Swabians, ensuring promotion for them last year and being a key cog in the team that relatively easily stayed in the league this year. So a Swiss goalie with Bundesliga experience and a reasonable 15 million euro price tag seems a solid choice. But is solid really good enough to warrant all that Berkey drama? Granted, at his age he has more potential than Roman Berkey right now. But Berkey also had potential in spades when he came from Freiburg to Dortmund and now looks to be on his way out. And I really wonder what happened to Maignan, who cost a similar transfer fee and sure isn't earning crazy wages at Milan who couldn't even pay their star and golden local boy Donnarumma, what was it, 8 million a year or something like that, to keep him, despite making the Champions League. So I think if push came to shove, and there was real interest, they could have made it work financially. And the former Lille goalkeeper had arguably the more impressive season, and is only slightly older but much more proven on a high level and also much stronger in the air, which is a key weakness at Borussia Dortmund, which logically they wanted to address making a change like that. So at the end I hope it was just down to Mayang's camp not showing sufficient interest, then rather something ludicrous like Borussia Dortmund for example not wanting a goalkeeper doesn't speak German. That's a rumor I've heard and I find it mind-boggling. I'm sure he has some basic English skills and he can pick up the German words for left, right, come back within a few lessons. But that ship has obviously sailed, so now all eyes are on Gregor Kobel, who seems to be the future between the sticks at Borussia Dortmund. Gorging from reactions within the BVB fan scene, the signing of Gregor Kobel seems to have been met with mixed reviews. While many fans argued for a change at the goalkeeper position, it seems that many fans also had very very unrealistic expectations of who we would be able to sign and who we would actually get. But I personally think Borussia Dortmund doesn't need a world-class uber goalkeeper. The club has done incredibly well when it has someone in goal that commands respect in the locker room and stands out through his hard work and consistency rather than his potential ceiling. The lack of perceived consistency is what also brought down Roman Bürki, who has reflexes like a cat on speed at times but then mixes in an occasional blunder and does not perform consistently well and has some issues in the air. Considering 30% of goals come from set pieces and dead ball, that's obviously a problem. So let's hope Kobel will be able to improve and keep a consistent high level throughout his BVB career. To show you what kind of goalkeeper I'm talking about, I will take you all the way back to BVB's first golden area in the 1950s with Heinrich Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski was between the sticks for the legendary back-to-back -back champions of 1956 and 57 and he amassed over 300 games for Borussia Dortmund. He was a very good goalie that was respected throughout the land and had won the 1954 World Cup as Germany's number two, garnering four caps in total for the DFB. He also rose to form in BBB's first arrays into European soccer in memorable games against Manchester United and Milan holding on to a 1-1 at home and preventing a record loss in the away defeat. He was deemed a calm 
and level-headed character that was uncompromising in the air, earning himself the nickname Heine Fists. Kwiatkowski moved to a backup role around 1963 before retiring in 1966. He stayed at Borussia until his death as a member of the Elder Council. His successor between the sticks was even more down-to-earth. Hans Tilkowski, who joined Borussia in 1963, had an aversion for anything showmanship. He was a textbook humble worker and Tilkowski's resolute no-frills play earned him admirers at the working-class coal and steel mill club Borussia Dortmund and throughout Germany. He won the DFB Cup with Borussia in 1965 and was voted Germany's Player of the Year in the same season, a very rare honor for a goalkeeper. He was also part of the World Cup runner-ups in 1966 as Germany's starting goalkeeper and was wearing the national team shirt for 39 times in total. But his biggest success was the win of the 1966 European Cup Winners' Cup. BDB declined in the late 60s and 70s, but began to research again in the late 70s and 80s, also thanks to some stellar goalkeeping. A certain Eike Immel had joined Borussia Dortmund's youth team in 1976 and was promoted to the first team in 1978. He went on to keep the BVB goal 247 times and was recognized as one of the biggest goalkeeping talents in the country. He debuted for Germany in 1980 and earned 19 caps throughout his career, being part of the squad that won the 1980 Euros, the 1982 and 86 World Cup runner-ups, and he was the starting goalie for the 88 Euro runner-ups for Germany. Immel left Dortmund for Stuttgart and was replaced by a certain Wolfgang Teddy de Beer, who was bought as the number two, but was pushed into the spotlight by injury to the designated number one And in his first game for Borussia Dortmund against Bayern Munich, he held on to a point with great saves that earned him stellar reviews in the press and kept him his spot and goal. A few weeks ago, we actually had him on the show and he shared with us a great story about a bold statement that he made to the club officials when they signed him. So let's have a listen. In the 86, when I started to play for Borussia Dortmund, and the president, Dr. Gerd Niebaum, I sat on... Uh, with him on a table and wanted to sign my contract. Uh, I had the pen in my hand and uh, suddenly he put away uh, the contract and uh, he looked to me and I wondered and he said, why do you want to play for Borussia Dortmund? And I said to him, I want to win the championship with Borussia Dortmund. In this moment, when I told him this, nobody think about it because he was speaking about 86, uh, we go maybe go down in the second league. But in this moment, I sat him opposite of him and I said this sentence to him I said I want to win with Borussia Dortmund the championship and that's quite a bold statement to make coming to a team who has been fighting relegation for most of the 80s but he should prove quite visionary and with Teddy in goal Borussia Dortmund kept its first title in 23 years winning the DFB Cup in 1989 and laying the foundation of the next golden era in the 90s I highly recommend you to go back to episode number eight and listen to the full interview with Teddy. It's an absolute gem and a great blast from the past to reminisce about the 89 Cup Final. In the modern era, there are two goalies that stand out to me. Stefan Klose and Roman Weidenfeller. Now Stefan Klose wasn't exactly an imposing figure. At six feet, he was a rather undersized goalie. But that didn't stop him from taking the starting spot from Teddy De Beer 
and winning back-to-back German titles in 95 and 96, the Champions League and the Club World Cup in 97, with Borussia Dortmund, and four more national championships and three cups at Glasgow Rangers. He wasn't the fastest, he wasn't the tallest, or the most athletic, and he was humble and quite shy off the pitch, but he was a fierce competitor on it, leaving everything on the field. He was making the most of his abilities, and he was as reliable as Swiss clockwork. I really do not recall a dip of form with Stefan Klose when he was with Borussia Dortmund. Now Weidenfeller joined Borussia in 2002 as a backup for Jens Lehmann, and when Lehmann left for Arsenal a year later in 2003, Roman Weidenfeller got the starting gig and disappointed. His first games were really, really rough, and his blunders earned him the nickname Weidenfehler, Weiden mistake, as he was demoted to the bench and being the number two for the rest of the season. And things did not look up for him in the 2004 and 5 season under a new coach, Bert von Marwick who still put him in the backup role at the beginning of the season, but gave him another chance at match day 9, to the dismay of many Borussia Dortmund fans. But Weidenfeller's competitiveness and his confidence drove him to work hard on his game, and he won over the fans and the press, earning Player of the Month award twice in the following season in 2005 and 2006. And for the next years, he was statistically one of the best German goalkeepers around. And again, Roman Weidenfeller wasn't the quickest, he wasn't the tallest or the most athletic goalkeeper, he had some issues with the ball at his feet, but he always worked on himself and it got him out of a big hole early in his career and made him a reliable goalkeeper that guided the young defense of Mats Hummels, Neven Subotic, Marcel Schmelzer to back-to-back German championships, a cup win and a Champions League final. And in 2014, his consistency on a high level in pressure situations, season in, season out, earned him a squad on a 2014 German World Cup champions. So the moral of the story? Borussia Dortmund doesn't need the most hype or talented keeper. The club certainly doesn't need a capper. And historically, Borussia Dortmund has had success with goalkeepers of high quality, but maybe not the highest of ceilings or stunning abilities but they performed consistently week in, week out, and energized by the fans, they made the most of their capabilities without much ado about it. So let's hope Gregor Kobel can fill the cleats of some of these legendary goalies and become equally successful at Borussia Dortmund. Thank you for tuning in again to Believe in Borussia, presented by Bet Online. I hope to catch you again next week, and until then... A black and yellow shout out across America. They've done it! Incredible! Unbelievable! Astonishing! Dortmund dances! Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.